Well, good morning. We are so glad to have you here at Reston Bible Church. We are in the last week of our series on the names of God. <laughs> no, I know that this has uh, been a lot of fun. Everybody said I've been receiving such amazing feedback. And some of you are like, but we didn't get to my favorite name, Jehovah Sitkanu. You're like, what? I never even heard of that one. Yeah, Jehovah Sitkanu means God, our righteousness. We're not going to cover that one. There's just about two or three names of God that we're not going to get to in this series. Next week, uh, we have Mission Sunday. Really want to encourage you to come be a part of that. We do that about four times a year. And then following that, uh, the next week, we are going to be kicking off our series in the book of James, which I'm really, really excited about. One of the more practical books in the New Testament, as always, we'll give you some history where, where all that's coming from and then jump in. James is really kind of like a series of little sermonettes throughout the whole book, and I'm really excited about what God is going to do. Today, we are going to study the name Jehovah Sabaoth, which means Lord of hosts. Now, it's not the Jehovah Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath is the day of rest, right? So Sabbath means to cease, to end, to rest. Sabaoth um, means a horde or a vast army, and it's specifically throughout the Old Testament refers to the heavenly army. So today we're going to be talking about Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of heavenly armies. In many of your Bibles, it says the Lord of hosts. Uh, if you have a new international version, it probably says the Lord Almighty. Um, again, I have nothing against the new international. I, I've, I use it for study. In this particular instance, it is not helpful. Lord Almighty doesn't really give us the flavor at all of what is behind the name uh, Jehovah Sabaoth. Let's give you a little bit of history before we jump into where this name first arrives. We're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. So this, is, this, this name doesn't pop up until we're about to jump into the season of the kings. And that's important. We'll get to that in just a second. So we've come through Exodus, right? The Israelites, they, leave, they come out of slavery. They do the wilderness wanderings for 40 years, all of that. They come to the brink of the promised land. And as they get ready to jump into the promised land, led by Joshua, as Moses passes away, we move into the book of Joshua. So the book of Joshua is about the conquest of the land. Then once that is completed, more or less, because a lot of the people that they were supposed to conquer, they didn't fully conquer. So that becomes an pro ongoing problem. Specifically in the next season, which is the period of the judges. The period of the judges is kind of like the, all the different uh, tribes have their area. It's their loose con connected federation. There's no central leadership. Uh, they have all these different challenges with different people. And each time there's a challenge... Then a judge, if you will, is raised up who leads the people. The term judges is a little uh, kind of challenge. It doesn't really make sense to our modern mind. Uh, they're not judges in that sense, but they lead people through kind of fighting back against these different folks and so forth and so on. You know what happens then? The people of Israel are like, we want a king. We want a king, just like all of our neighbors. And Samuel says, no, we don't really want that. That's not where we're going. Um, but then ultimately God gives them what they want. He doesn't want to do it, but he does. And we end up kind of in the season of the kings. Now, the name Jehovah Sabaoth arrives right at the beginning of 1 Samuel, where Samuel is about to arrive, right? Um, and the name Jehovah Sabaoth, it's fascinating. Uh, it occurs 261 times from 1 Samuel forward. 
It occurs 52 times in the book of Zechariah with only 15 chapters. It occurs 83 times in the book of Jeremiah with only 52 chapters. And in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, only four chapters long, the name occurs 24 times. And it's because what God is trying to communicate to his people through this season that I am the God of heavenly armies. I am the one who backs, who is behind you on the journey. Now we're going to see three different occurrences of the name Jehovah Sabaoth. The first one is what I'm referring to as the occasion of desperation. And it finds us in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 with a woman by the name of Hannah. We're going to get there in just a second. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 3. It says, now uh, this man Elkanah, who is Hannah's husband, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. That's our name, Jehovah Sabaoth, first occurrence right here, at Shiloh. Now Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle stood and where uh, the Ark of the Covenant was. So during the period of the judges, we have the main place of worship is Shiloh. During the period of the kings, it becomes Jerusalem, where the tabernacle moves there, and ultimately, of course, the temple is built there. So, but during this period, as we wrap up the judges, uh, the period of the judges, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant are at Shiloh. So he goes up to Shiloh year after year to worship and to make a sacrifice. Where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, over against Phineas and Ferb. That's a whole different sermon, okay? <laughs> Hophni and Phineas were priests of the Lord. Now, Elkanah had two wives. First wife, Peninnah, she had multiple children. Second wife, Hannah, no children. This is a theme throughout the scripture. You see many people struggle, specifically in the journey of what God is doing. Sarah and, you know, woman after woman, you see this challenge of fertility. And it's part of God's journey as we see Hannah cry out in desperation to the living God. Now, she goes up to Shiloh, about 20 miles north of Jerusalem, to worship. Verse 11. She, that is Hannah, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the heavenly armies, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. That's a Nazarite vow. That's a whole different conversation. But she was dedicating him to the Lord fully that she was going to give him over, which she, she ultimately does do. Kay Arthur, in her book, Lord, I Want to Know You, which has been a very critical resource during this whole series, I definitely recommend it to you. She says this specifically about the name Jehovah, Jehovah Sabaoth related to this passage right here. This is what she says. This name of God belongs to a certain time in the experience of God's people. From this moment forward through the rest of the Old Testament, it's God's name for man's extremity. Now, when we think extremity, we think of our limbs. We think of our extremities, right? That's not what this means. The extremity is when a person or their people come to the end of themselves. That's what your extremities are. They're the end of you, right? And when we come to the end of ourselves, that's where this name comes in. So often, not until we find ourselves failing and powerless, do we realize our need to run to Jehovah Sabaoth. 
This is the name for those who find their resources inadequate in the midst of a struggle. This is the name of God to run to when there is no other help from our perspective. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word as we look into 1 Samuel today, several passages in this book. As we consider three different occurrences, three different exposures, if you will, of, of, of how Jehovah Sabaoth comes and plays in the lives of your people. And of course, Lord, we're going to take these three exact occurrences and we're going to move fast forward to our lives today, thousands of years later, and ask the question, well, what does this mean for me, for us, as we walk out into this afternoon and into this week? We pray that you'd bless us today in your great name. Amen. This is the name for those who need God to fight for them, whose resources are exhausted, who've tried everything and are falling on their knees and face before the living God in desperation. Hannah was desperate. She was asking the Lord to show up for her when she had exhausted. There was nothing she could do. There were no options for her in figuring out how to press forward. And she was desperate. And I'm going to ask you, have you ever been or are you desperate for the Lord of hosts? I'm going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. First occurrence here in 1 Samuel, as this name comes to the surface, it rises up. Jehovah Sabaoth is in moments of desperation. The second occasion that I want to take a look at, it's flip, if you flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 4, if you have your Bible with you, uh, we are going to be talking about the second occasion, which is the occasion of presumption. Now, what's happened here is that the Philistines, again, this is still during the season of the judges. We don't have a king yet. The Philistines have come up against the Israelites, and they, the Israelites have just lost 4,000 foot soldiers. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? The Lord of the heavenly hosts, where is he? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the place in the temple where God, when the high priest went in, where he showed up, as it were, there between the wings of the cherubim on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It represented God's presence, but it was also God's presence in practical terms. The Philistines, if you look at the map, a map of Israel, you see Israel, you see the Mediterranean Sea off to the left and kind of follow the coastline down to what is today modern day Gaza, the Gaza Strip. That is the land of the Philistines. And periodically the Philistines, they would come and they would just kind of pester the Israelites. They would conquer, work to conquer this area, that area. Again, we had a loose affiliation of the different uh, tribes. It wasn't kind of a unified group as yet. The Philistines represent that ongoing challenge, the insurmountable foe that is faced by God's people. Practically, they were a real hands-on foe. The Philistines had been able to, to, to work with iron. 
They were able to mine iron and sharpen it and use it for tools while the Israelites were still using bronze. Bronze is no match for iron. And so perpetually ongoing, the Philistines were that insurmountable foe in the lives of the Israelites for about a period of 200 years. In part, during the 400 years of the judges and then on into the times of the king. Verse 4 of 1 Samuel 4. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from the from there the Ark of the Covenant of, here it is, Jehovah Sabaoth, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of Covenant of the Covenant of God. Verse 5. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. And then the conflict occurs and oh my gosh, 30,000 Israelites are killed. They lose miserably and they leave with their tail between their legs. Where in the world is the God of heavenly hosts? As you study this, you come to understand at this point as we again transition from the season of the judges into the period of the kings, there is this season where everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. Israel isn't faithfully following the Lord. They have Shiloh, the place of worship. They have the Ark of the Covenant. But to them, the Ark of the Covenant really, hey, let's bring down the Ark of the Covenant. And they treated it more like a rabbit's foot than they treated it that this is the actual presence of the living God. They raced forward with a plan, presumptuously assuming that the God of the heavenly hosts was with them. And he was not. And he was not. The Ark of the Covenant is captured and they take the Ark, the Philistines do, to the city of Ashdod and they put it in the temple of their god Dagon. And every morning when the priests go into the temple of Dagon, there's the statue of Dagon on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. Now this is hysterical biblical humor, but you and I don't get it, okay? Because we don't understand the reality of all of the, the multiple gods and so forth and so on. And here is a God who is laying on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. Whereas the Israelites misused it, they treated it more like a rabbit's foot. God says, all right, we'll show, we'll show you how this really works. And they put it in their temple. And interestingly enough, The final day before they get rid of it, before they put it on a cart and have pulled by a couple of cows and they kind of point it in the direction of Israel and they smack the cows on the behind and they just say like, okay, get out of here. That final day, Dagon is on his face and his head and his arms have been broken off. We're going to come back to that in just a minute when we see our Part three, or point three, in the whole focus on Jehovah Sabaoth. So, fast forward, 1 Samuel chapter 6, they send the ark back to the Israelites. And they still demand a king. Now, at this point, Samuel, okay, he had been a, a, a baby, born to Hannah, committed to 
the, temp, the, the tabernacle. And he did. He served. He served. And then he became an adult. And at this point now, as the Israelites are crying out for a king, they, find, they, they uh, anoint Saul as king. He's king for roughly 20 to 40 years. Scholars disagree. Some of the math in the Old Testament is a little bit challenging at this point. But 15 years prior to the end of Saul's reign, another man is anointed king of Israel. And that's David. David is 15 or so when he is anointed king of Israel. And then he serves King Saul. Saul already knows that his days are numbered. He gets way more days than we would think that he was going to get. 15 years. You know, the the enemy is constantly after Paul badgering him. He's struggling in his mental capacity. And David, remember, he comes along and he he is in Saul's service. He plays the harp and soothes Saul during that time period. You know, ultimately, Saul's demise, his death, is because of a battle against the Philistines. They're the constant, insurmountable foe in the lives of people. Number one, the first occurrence of God, Jehovah Sabaoth, is out of desperation. Number two, the second is Jehovah Sabaoth, but the second occasion is presumption. The people assumed that God, the heavenly host, was going to be with them. They charged off with a plan that wasn't in God's plan for them, wasn't God's will. Have you ever done that? (laughs) Have you ever kind of charged that God's not taking the action that you want him to take? Or at least he's not taking it as quickly as you want him to take it. And suddenly the plans start forming in your mind. Maybe this is what God wants. Maybe that's what God wants. Maybe I'm going to charge off in this direction. Cautious, my friend, be cautious. Sometimes we may believe that the God of the heavenly armies is behind us. And we charge off to implement a plan that isn't from God at all. We can get in trouble and discover when we turn around that the heavenly armies are not behind us. Not because God doesn't love us. Not because God isn't with us. But because the plan that we're implementing, we've either talked ourselves into believing that it's from him or we've disregarded him altogether and we've decided it our own thing like Abraham did when, with the whole Hagar incident. When, God, when Abraham tried to do an end round on the living God. Occurrence number one, Jehovah Sabaoth, Hannah out of desperation. The next time we see uh, occasion for Jehovah Sabaoth is a time of presumption when the people of Israel believed God was with them, but they were implementing a plan that wasn't from him and they treated the ark like a, a, a good luck charm and not the presence of the living God. Our third occasion is the occasion of confidence. And we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 17. Saul and his armies are fighting the Philistines. Again, their constant foe. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah. They were in the heart of the tribe of Judah. This was solidly Israelite land. And yet again, they were coming to cause trouble. And they encamped there between Sukkah and Azekah in a place called Ephes Damim. 
And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And we're going to show you a couple of maps. You see exactly where this is. You see the Dead Sea. You see Jerusalem there. You see Bethlehem. Bethlehem's actually a little closer to Jerusalem than that. Really a rock's throw away. We see Succoth. We see Gath, which is where uh, Goliath is from. We'll see that in just a minute. The Philistines were really a loose confederation of different city-states. Many cities were large. They were walled. And they had kings, right? Small kingdoms. You see the Valley of Elah right there, smack in the center of the tribe of Judah. Verse 4. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. You're like, what's that? Between about nine and ten feet. Verse 8. Choose a man for yourselves, he cries, and let him come out to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Now this time David was back up around Jerusalem, I'm sorry, Bethlehem. He was tending his sheep. And his father said, hey, I want you to take these supplies. I want you to go check on your brothers. David had seven brothers. The three oldest were in battle with Saul down in the valley of Elah. And David was going to go check on him. And he gets to the camp and there's all this buzz about Goliath. About the fear of the Philistines once again. And this man who was challenging one man to come out. Verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine. And takes away this reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine. That he should defy the armies of the living God. And David's oldest brother Eliab. Probably about 30 or so. Early 30s was furious. He's like, you little twerp. What are you doing here? Don't you have a few sheep back in Bethlehem that you should be tending? And that was purposeful. He was like, you know what? You're not even old enough, big enough, or strong enough, or equipped enough to gather a whole flock. Don't you just have a few sheep back there, back home, that you're supposed to be taking care of? What are you coming down here for and disrupting all of this? And David's like, what did I do? What's the problem with that? And David said to Saul, Verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock... I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This is David's confidence, not in his own abilities but the abilities of the living God to face this foe that is truly, truly insurmountable. And Saul said to David, go, Lord be with you. I mean, like, if you want to do it, 
It's up to you. This is not going to go well, but okay, have at it. And you know how the story goes. David tries on Saul's armor. It's laughable. It's way too big. He can't make it work. He's like, ah, forget all this. He grabs five stones out of the creek. You're not sure why he had five. Not sure if he needed a couple of backups in case he wasn't quite on his mark that day. Or if Goliath had four brothers. Some have speculated that. And Goliath says, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? Looking at David. It's kind of like saying, you know, it's the ancient version of saying, you want a piece of me? And David's like, yeah, I do. I'm going to get to all of you. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. And here it is. But I come to you in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the heavenly armies, the God of the armies of Israel that you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Down he goes. And just like in the temple of Dagon, Goliath lost his head that day. And David took his arms and killed him with his own iron sword. And the rest is history. David came against Goliath that day, not in his own strength, but in confidence Because David had seen the power of God before. David was living with his own experience saying, I know I have a foe that is far beyond my capacity. He's bigger than me. He is stronger than me. He is more experienced than me. But that's not what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at is what God has done before. Because in the past... I have been up against foes that should have been able to take me. And in the power of the living God, the God of the heavenly armies, I have been able to prevail in his strength. Three occurrences in the early part of 1 Samuel that show us some things we need to understand about Jehovah Sabaoth in an occasion of desperation, in an occasion of presumption, and an occasion of confidence. Which brings us to the point in our time together today, which says, what difference does this make to you and to me? When we walk out of here today and out into our week, what does Jehovah Sabaoth from 1 Samuel, from chapter 1 through verse chapter 17, have to do with me in my journey today? Well, let's talk about that. All of us need to come to Jehovah in all of his various names at different times. And I encourage you to pray the names of Jehovah. And next weekend, we're going to give you a little card that has all the names that we've covered and some of the, the different meanings. Some of you have been asking about that. We're going to provide that for you so that you can kind of remember. And, and, and as you're going through different things in life, you remember this is a really good season to pray the name of God in this regard or in that regard. And there are some of us here today or some of us perhaps tomorrow who will come to a place of desperation in our lives. And coming to Jehovah Sabaoth is when we are in a place of desperation. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever been at the end of your resources, whether they're physical, tangible resources, whether they're emotional resources or spiritual resources? You have no idea what to do next. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it. And is safe. 
whatever you are facing, whatever, whatever insurmountable foe you have, whatever is beside you, in, around you, all, all over you, in your desperation, Jehovah Sabaoth is there. Now, he may not respond exactly the way he responded with Hannah, providing exactly what she wanted, but God has a plan. And when we are desperate, we need to be crying out to him. Dennis Waitley is a man who on May 25th, 1979, came to the airport in Chicago to board a flight to Los Angeles. He was desperately trying to get to his destination. And when he arrived at his gate, they had just closed the gateway. Dennis begged and he begged and he begged them to let him on board. But the plane pushed away and he missed his flight. He was angry. He was out of breath. He was out of patience. And he went to the ticket counter to complain and to try to rebook his flight. While he was waiting for his rebooking, demanding and angry, an announcement came over the airport intercom that airline, American Airlines flight 191 from Chicago to Los Angeles that he had just missed crashed upon takeoff. The engine on the left wing of the DC-10 separated from the airplane shortly after takeoff and the unbalanced aerodynamics caused the plane to roll, a roll from which it did not recover and all 271 passengers on American Airlines flight 191 died that day. It was one of the most significant and deadliest aviation disasters in United States history. And in that near-death experience, he had a life-altering moment. Had he been on that plane, he would have died as well. He did rebook his flight, but he took his paper ticket from that day and he framed it and he put it on the wall of his office. And every single time he faces something difficult in life, something where he is desperate, something where he wishes to throw in the towel, something he wishes as he struggles through, he looks at that ticket and he regains perspective that sometimes when we are desperate, we need to throw ourselves on the mercy of the living God for his plan and not our own. And Hannah threw herself on God's mercy that day as she cried out in desperation to the Lord of hosts, the God of the heavenly armies to intercede on her behalf. Do you have a time in history where God has intervened for you, where you are desperate and God showed up that you can look back on as your encouragement in your journey forward when you experience times of desperation? You see, because times of desperation, when we do not rely on the God of heavenly hosts, can lead us to occasions of presumption. Can lead us to occasions of presumption. In 1 Samuel 4, when they were fighting against the Philistines, they said, hey, let's bring down the ark. That'll work. Let's bring down our good luck charm, the symbol of God's presence. We don't have a relationship with the living God right now. We're not walking closely with him. We've tolerated two priests who sleep with women at the tabernacle. We've tolerated immorality among our leadership. Oh, but God's going to show up for us. 
We're going to have a plan and he's going to naturally be there. Not so much. Sometimes when we are desperate and we are calling out to the living God and he is not showing up in a time frame that works for us, we start to work our own plan in our desperation and oftentimes in presumption can believe that God is with us when he's not. And that the plan that he has for us, the plan that's before us that we are engaging in is from him. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What is it that we trust in as we are in seasons of desperation, as we are seeking to move forward? Are you trusting in God and in his plan? Or are you trusting in a plan that you are creating for yourself? Most of you know that our time, our family's time over the last decade has been very, very challenging. We've shared different elements of that from time to time. When we came to RBC in 2017, we jumped into ministry here. I was involved in shepherd groups, those of you that are shepherd group leaders, so forth and so on. It was a challenge at the same time because one of my primary spiritual gifts that I love is the gift of teaching. And, and I was doing that from time to time. But as I've started to get older and older, I was like, Lord, am, am I gonna be doing shepherd groups and ministry groups like this for the rest of my ministry career? I've got a, I've got a stretch in front of me. What, what, what's the road ahead? I really wanna teach. And because of some of the challenges that we have faced in this area from a variety of different directions, my wife and my children, they're like, we wanna move to Florida. And I'm like, okay. All right, so unbeknownst to anyone, she started doing research. And she's like, she would send me these pastoral jobs in Florida. I'm like, okay, daddy's got to have a job. So let's, we, you know, I don't know. I'll, okay, I'll, if this is where the Lord is taking us. You know, out of our desperation, out of what appeared to be God's lack of movement, some plans started to take place. You know, sometimes when plans start to take place, God puts a smack down like he did in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The people got whooped. Sometimes in his grace, when we start to move in alternate plans, God shows up with clarity. It's because as this intensive search was going for a, tri- a move to Florida, God provided my wife with her ideal job. And then God provided me with my ideal job. And she looked at me and she said, I guess we're not moving to Florida. (laughs) You see, in our desperation, we can begin to take things into our own hands. God, you need to move. In 1989, a band was created by a gentleman by the name of Brian Hughes Warner. You know him as Marilyn Monroe. I'm sorry, um, not Marilyn Monroe. Mar- you know him as Marilyn Manson, who, who got his name from Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson. Okay. All right, joke on me. All right. (laughs) Marilyn Manson said this 
about presuming on life. He said, a lot of people like to pass me off as a devil worshiper. I think this could only be true if I, was con- if I considered myself to be the devil. Because I tend to be narcissistic and believe in my own strength on- and my own identity. Marilyn Manson basically worships himself. And when we, we look at people like that, who believe in such presumption in life that they are moving in a direction that is so self-centered. But we often fail, I often fail to see that I can live presumptuously about God and life and what's to come and the days that I have tomorrow and where life is going. And when it isn't going the way I want it to go, I can begin to make plans for myself that I talk myself into believing are from God. Like Israel did in 1 Samuel chapter 4. God is with us. He wasn't. And God is saying, don't do that. Follow me. Pursue me. And trust in the God of heavenly hosts. Which brings us to number three. We need to come to Jehovah Sabaoth when we are desperate. We need to come to Jehovah Sabaoth as we seek to avoid presumption. In God's direction. And we need to come to Jehovah Sabaoth like David did with confidence in his power. David lived with boldness. He trusted in the power of the living God. He had seen what God had done. And he knew God would do it again. And one of my favorite passages. That when you, when you or me are in a difficult season. We should review. And I want to encourage you. Today, this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, if you're in a season of difficulty to read Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11, where the phrase Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, occurs twice. Because it is the core of this psalm. Let's read it. Here we go. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Do we live in a world where literally and culturally we are seeing the mountains shake, where the foundations are being rattled? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, which means rest. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Jehovah Sabaoth is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. As we move through life, I believe that that each one of us have occasion where 
each one of these occurs. There are times in desperation where I cry out to the Lord of the heavenly hosts. And that's the essence of this name. When we are at the end of ourselves, we are to cry out like Hannah did to the Lord of the heavenly armies who fights on our behalf. We need to be cautious though about occasion number two, which also can occur in our lives. When we are in that desperation, begin to analyze the steps forward and make a plan, perhaps even in our frustration with God. That is inactivity apparently or moving too slowly that we can presume upon God's presence with us when we end up moving in a direction that is not from him at all. Thirdly, where we need to be each day as we move forward is with confidence in the living God that as we look back on the the saints of old in our own life, in the journey that we've experienced, in those seasons where God has shown up for us and in those moments, embrace the power of the God of the heavenly armies to walk with us. Where are you today? What occasion is most fresh for you in your journey? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, I want to encourage you to sit with Psalm 46. And in your frustration or discouragement, in your moment of desperation to cry out with confidence like David that the Lord of hosts is with you. And if you're a person here today who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have not given your life to him. You don't have him as savior. The first provision of the Lord of heavenly hosts that you need to embrace is the salvation that he has provided for you on the cross. And then from that point forward, you have access to that same God who has the power to walk with you to be with you, to fight for you in the battles that you face in this life, but not until you've embraced him as savior. That power is not available. And I pray that you would do business with him today and say, Jesus, be my savior, that I might have a relationship with the living God from this point forward in eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for the series on the names of God. Thank you for... God, each one, and I pray that we would embrace them and learn them and pray them. And in those moments when we are in need, that we would discern how to pray effectively. And Lord, some of us here today are in desperate need of the Lord of the heavenly armies to fight on their behalf. In desperation because of a challenge, a foe that is insurmountable. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the boldness of David to fight in the power of Jesus Christ who will one day come back in all of his glory along with all of the heavenly hosts. We pray in your great and mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.